Uh, Worth Living is a series that we are trying to do based on the book of Thessalonian, uh, 1 Thessalonian. And Worth Living, the concept is that you and I will live a life so worthy for God because that is really the book of Thessalonian is all about. Why do we choose Thessalonian? Uh, partly because post-pandemic, as we come back to life normal, there's just so many voices, so many things that asking us to live a certain way, right? And we wanted to help all of us to re-look life in endemic. So our three preaching series, starting from Margin to First Thessalonians, and the next one, which we're going to kickstart called The Faces of Faith, was trying to help all of us to use this tree and to help us to live our life as best as we could, as fruitful as we can. Uh, so that's the, and today we are coming to the last of the entire series. So uh, the, the verse that ties the series together is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. Would you read together? We exalted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you, which by the way was very interesting because Paul uses three different ways to try to land every one of us at the same spot. He says, for some I charge, for some I encourage, for some I exalt you. Okay, three different ways. And then continue to... Walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So that was the verse that ties everything together. Context, very simple. Paul preached three weeks in Thessalonica. Persecution came. He went to Berea and eventually he was in Athens and he could not. He tried to attempt to go back but he was blocked because not vaccinated. I'm just kidding, okay? Then he sent Timothy to go there and check out. When Timothy came back with praise report and question, he then wrote a letter to thank them for their faith and also to answer a couple of questions that they are asking, which we will pick it up today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, okay? The question that we are trying to answer is how does a life that lives in a manner worthy of God looks like? Uh, yesterday, I was in the parenting class. As I walked into the parenting class, I saw the food. The parenting class is great, uh, but the food is uh, equally, okay, great, okay? So I, I stopped by. I was having some curry and uh, the, the, the jal, what do you call it? Sorry, roti jala, that's right. Then I saw uh, Abigail, all right, which is Jeff and Ellie's daughter. She's dancing at the foyer. And uh, Jeff was just staring at her, and then she was dancing, looking at the daddy, you know, she was dancing. And there were a couple of us who stood next and watching her dance, and we were just laughing, you know, all this. But you know what? When I saw Abigail, she doesn't bother the rest of us that watch her. She bothers only about the father that's watching her. And as she done, father smiling, you know, and then after she done, give the father a hug, the father came and picked her up and all. And I, I thought about that metaphor. I thought about that picture. Sometimes life is like that. In this series, we are trying to ask every one of us, live your life in such a way that God pleases you the most, that you please God. Live such a life worthy of God. So it is not what maybe you expect someone next to you wanted you to live certain life, make certain decision. When you work for a certain company, potentially they want you to make a certain decision that you know displeases God, but pleases your boss. And you have to choose. And so we are asking every one of us, live a life that's worthy of God. So week one, Jason started with faith, hope, and love, which is really the foundation of Christian living, which we will see later at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul picked it up again. Then Eugene talked about living a life worthy that you will serve God and grow in your serving. 
that I dealt with suffering, part of the equation of living a life worthy of God is the way we allow suffering to script our life. What kind of a story you tell when you come out from suffering? A life that wants to curse God or a life that believes God and navigate through the valley of the shadow of death that Paul or David talk about in Psalms 23. Then last weekend, my son Joel did what it means to live a life holy unto God, set apart, right? So today, we are going to talk about how to live a life worthy of God in light of Christ's second coming. Okay, now that's the main purpose. Now, there are two parts to today. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 5:11 tells us a little bit about the story of the second coming of Christ. There is actually a lot of the Bible that tells us about the second coming of Christ. First and second coming, first has already happened. So we stand at the edge of our life right now. Looking back, we saw the cross. That's the first coming of Christ. That is what inspired us faith. How in the world would we have faith? Because Christ has done it. He'd been here, resurrected. That gives you and me a lot of faith. Second coming is right in front of us. That is what we call hope. So in between of living your life between faith and hope is love. It's, that's what Paul talked about, stay in the love of God to Ephesus. So faith, love, hope ties our life together. Okay? Now, so the concept of second coming of Christ is there's about 318 references in the Bible, which means almost every 28 to 20, 25 to 28 verses, it talks about the second coming. So it really, really talks a lot about that. Later in dialogue, potentially some of you want to ask questions about second coming, I kind of park it over there. But in this passage that we're going to deal with, it gives you a little bit information about the second coming of Christ. Obviously, Paul wasn't trying to teach them in this passage. He was trying to address a certain question that rises up from that, and therefore he does it. You know, the second coming of Christ is closer in our heart, in our mind. I'm not talking about event. I'm talking about the impact of that. It's closer than you and I actually imagine. When every time we take communion, the Bible says, you do this proclaiming His death until He, until he comes. So did you know, every time you take the communion, you are telling yourself that I'm going to be faithful to God. Thank you for the work of the cross. And the next time I take the communion, hopefully we'll be at the supper of the Lamb. So everything that we do, so it's more than actually we realize it. It's just that we don't talk as much about it as we should. And then, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 12 to 28, it was rapid fire. Paul immediately gave you, he says, because Christ is going to come back, he says, this is the way you and I need to live our life. He kind of gives us handles, and we are going to walk through every one of them. So the way we're going to walk through the Bible verse today is, if you have not done your devotion this morning, we're going to look through the Bible verses, each verse, and you potentially have done your devotion this morning, okay? Now, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now, so obviously, Paul was trying to address a question that they asked. The most plausible answer to why he wrote as such has to be when Paul left Thessalonica, there were Christians who believed in God and died. And Paul, in his three weeks teaching, already told them about Christ is going to come back again. Now, honestly, when you look through the Bible, Paul is someone who literally, potentially believed that Christ is going to come back in his lifetime, okay? Which is why he talked about it all the time. And he must have taught the Thessalonica church that Christ is going to come back and you'll be ready. 
And now all of a sudden, I say, oh, but someone passed away. When Christ comes back, what's going to happen? Are they going to miss the coming of Christ? So Paul wrote to address that. And you will notice that every time when a Christian die or a believer die, the Bible says they are actually asleep. Uh, it's, it's never death. It's always a, a sleep. You know, we actually practice dying every night, biblically, actually, in a sense, okay? But he says here, he says, those who are fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. You know, every time when you say goodbye to a loved one, you will grieve. But it says we grieve differently. We grieve full of hope that one day we're going to meet each other again. You know, I've met so many grieving family that have lost their baby, their kids, that whatever. And the way they talk about it, ultimately is the day they will come. They're going to have a family reunion. And that's the beauty of it. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and he was trying to help us to say, how in the world would you know that you actually get to experience that? He says, because, the Bible says, the basis is Jesus died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, that is the only way, not through your good works, but what Christ has done. He says, God will bring, come on, say it together, with him, those who have fallen asleep. So the Bible gives you a very clear glimpse when Christ comes back again, He's going to bring with those together. And that is part of the second coming of Christ, or some people call it the rapture event, which is a word later you look at it, not the exact word, but at least in the Latin word that they translate through the Greek, okay? And, and, and uh, we'll come to that concept shortly, okay? But here it is, the Bible talk about, and I think it was in James or Corinthians that it says that Christ is the first fruit of many to come. So Christ is trying to tell us, he says, because I have died and resurrected, I have my resurrected body. He says, I am the first fruit. All of you eventually will experience the same thing, okay? Now, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Now, you cannot actually find this word from the Lord, actually in the Bible, so to speak. Uh, you can find glimpses, not exactly the same word. So potentially, Paul would have met Jesus when he went up to heaven and God spoke to him directly, but it was important enough that he has to quote that this is one of the saying of God. He says, who, We who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So he's trying to say that those who have died and all of us who are alive, when Christ comes back, there's only be two categories of people, dead or alive asleep or alive. He says only two categories. He says, those who are asleep, you will not miss it. And then he went on to further explain. For the Lord, come on, himself, himself will descend from heaven. Remember the book of Acts, when Jesus went up, he says that, he says, when I'll come, I'll come back. So when Jesus come back, it wasn't a proxy. It wasn't. It will be Jesus personally in his resurrected body, visibly, and comes down. That means you, you are going to see Jesus in his physical form. It wasn't a shadow. It wasn't a proxy. That is Christ's second coming. And then he says, with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. So three different voices. So the coming of God is not going to be secretive. It's going to be really loud. It's going to be, whole world will see it and know it. And in fact, it has a three different sound to it. That's what the Bible says. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, the sequence was very clear, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So And so we will always be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
Okay, so it was very clear. Paul addressed a certain segment of the coming of Christ. Now, how the coming of Christ is going to play out, if you have a question, we can kind of dialogue. There are many, there are few different views towards that. It's all speculating, okay? Let me begin by also saying in the first Corinthians, book of Corinthians, first Corinthians 15, Paul was very clear to say that when it comes to the coming of the Lord, it's really a mystery. There are all together... If I'm not mistaken, I can't recall right now, maybe about 12 to 15 mysteries in the Bible. The mystery of lawlessness, the mystery of righteousness, which means that there are things that we will never fully comprehend. Only God reveals to us can. So this is one of them. So all that we do is actually speculative. But for the second coming of Christ, God has at least, Bible has at least dedicated about three to four chapters, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, if I'm not mistaken, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians, all this to address the second coming of Christ. Okay? Now, so this is just a portion of it. Move on. And then he continues, he says, now concerning the times and the seasons. So first of all, he addresses that the date will not be left out. And he gave us a glimpse that when Christ comes back, the date will be the first one to rise up, which means that whether you cremate them, you pour them into the sea, God will sovereignly piece them together with the Spirit, God, as He comes down, there will be a resurrected body. They'll meet halfway. And he says, those of us who are alive, in Corinthians 15, says, in a twinkling of an eye, he says, we will be changed. So all of a sudden, I'll have six packs. All of a sudden, praise God. Looking forward to that day, okay? Uh, I'm looking forward to Christ coming and the new body coming, okay? Now, after he addressed that and then he moved on, he says, the second question, concerning the time and the season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, which means that Paul taught them very well, don't speculate, you never know, okay? He says, for you yourself are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night now. He throws the concept called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a concept throughout Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, no time for me to unpack, but the day of the Lord encompasses the day where Christ comes back, judgment. So there are many components to the day of the Lord. But I, what I wanted to help you to understand, every time when the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, the context will tell you that for those who do not believe in God, they experience different things. For those who believe in God, they experience different things. As you read on, I want you to notice the word you they, we, those gives you the context. So for example, he says that, for you yourself are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying. He, he didn't say while we are saying. He says, so he points to others, which means that the concept of Christ coming like a thief in the night is not for believers. Okay, now how many of you, uh, how many of you had thief broken to your house and they WhatsApp you first? 3, 3, 3 a.m. I'll come today, okay? Just, just, you know, nobody, right? Because they come all of a sudden. So he says, they'll come in the night. They, they, Paul actually gives three metaphors. First one, he says, thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security. So very likely, Christ will not come back now because absolutely there's no peace and security. Okay? And then he says, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. He gave them the second metaphor. He says, first of all, for those who do not know God, he says, he will come like a thief in the night. Then, it will come upon them like labor pains, which means that when the pain comes, 
the birthing of the baby comes. For nine months, when the pain comes, the birthing of the baby comes. Now, you will notice, and what? And they will not escape. So he was very particular in talking to a certain category of people. He says, then he says, but, come on, but you, okay? So, so he, he was very clear. He says, but you are not in darkness, brother, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. So he used the third metaphor. He says, first of all, thief in the night, pregnant woman, labor pain, children of day and night. Okay? We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. He contrasts it by saying this. He says, for those who do not know God, they will be in darkness. And you know, things happen in darkness. People get drunk. People get beat up. People steal things. You know, all the bad deeds happen in darkness. Uh, light is a big thing. So he says, your job and my job is to keep awake and sober. Every time, whether in parables, Matthew 24, Mark 13, always tell us for us who believe in God, your job is to keep yourself awake and keep yourself in the love of God. Bible consistently say about that. It is for those who sleep, sleep at night, for those who get drunk, drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of what? Faith, love, hope of salvation. So again, Paul brings back to these three little thoughts that governs our life. You know, faith, love, hope is very real. And they all, all of them is a world by itself with different evoke of emotion. For example, uh, faith. When you think about faith, right, uh, there is a certain emotion. Am I correct? Um, I don't know about you, but every time when I travel, especially, you know, uh, when, I, when I have a chance to ride on Emirates, the bigger flight, right, you, you somehow seems to be like, you, you, you have better trust, lah. I don't know. Do, do you feel that? Sometimes when you go to smaller state, you see in a smaller plane, uh, the one that you have to you know, turn the propeller while you are like... Right? So you can understand the intensity of faith. Somehow you, you have better trust that this will carry me home, right? It's, it's a different emotion. Uh, all my kids, uh, at least my three boys are driving now. Uh, two of them, I'm rather confident already. Uh, but the third one who just passed, which is Jaden, when he drives, I'm like... Uh, okay, maybe you should still sit with him, you know, that kind of thing, right? But the rest, who cares? They okay, do, you know what I'm saying? So all of us understand the intensity of faith and trust. But you know that you have full trust upon someone that can really deliver, potentially, let's say, my first two sons that drives. You, you know that they will, they will be safe because, uh, hopefully, okay, <laughs> okay? Uh, their driving is sound, okay? You, so you know that component of faith where there's a, there's a, there's a rest upon it. Hope is different. Hope totally evokes a different emotion. When I come back from US, I first of all look at the plane. Okay, it looks like a solid plane that can get. I have faith on the plane, on the plane, right? But I look forward hope that I'm gonna come back and see my family. So you know the different emotion of faith, hope, and love. And they can be separated, but each of them helps us to experience God differently. So Paul again brings back to the importance of faith, hope, and love uh, to help us in this season. And then he says, so that we're, whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Okay, whether you're asleep, whether you're awake, it doesn't matter. We are ready for God. He says, therefore, again, encourage one another, build one another just as you are doing. All right, now, uh, for the next 10 minutes, or I can do it in eight minutes maybe, okay, and then we'll jump into dialogue. 
He then moved on in chapter 15 on the rest of practical wisdom for living. He says, knowing well that God is going to come back again, he says, this is then how you want to live your life. And it was very interesting, the way Paul in his rapid fire, giving all the encouragement, he actually categorized four to five different categories. The fifth one you can actually add to yourself as I read the Bible, just how you classify it. First of all, he tells you how you're supposed to relate to your leaders. Secondly, how you're supposed to relate to others around you. And third, he tells you how to relate to your circumstances, which all of us are in various circumstances of life. When COVID came, presented a totally new circumstances that we have never experienced. And then he says, how do you relate to the Holy Spirit? And then finally, it says, how do you relate to yourself? Okay, so five. Uh, so let me just go through very quick. I don't have time to expound, but let me, as you read, it's self-explanatory. First of all, he says, the way you relate to leaders. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who, and it was interesting, because he gave three different pictures of what does a leader do. He says, first of all, a leader labor. Number two, he says they are over you. In the Greek, simply means they lead you. They lead you. And then third one is they admonish you. You know, a good leader is not just someone who loves you. A good leader is someone who admonish you. A good leader is not just someone who admonish you. A good leader is someone who lead you and love you. But he says that leader, you labor among them. Uh, I always tell everybody, me being the senior pastor, I expect myself to labor more than anybody else. Uh, because that is, the, that is what a leader does. So Paul says a leader will labor, he will lead you, and he will admonish you. He says then what you are supposed to do, he says, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Because this is what they do to sacrifice for you. He says then you esteem them, you respect them, you don't talk bad about them. Okay? He tells you, this is how you want to relate to leaders. Then, he teaches you how to relate to everybody around you. The verses went on. He says, then you be at peace among everybody. He says, your job is to learn how to live at peace. And sometimes you cannot control that. But you choose to be at peace. The other person may not, but you choose to. Then we urge you, brothers. He says, for those who do not want to work, you admonish them. He says, because there's this concept, right, in Thessalonica, by then Christ is going to come back. No need to work, lah. So he says, you admonish the idol. But he says, you encourage the faint-hearted. You help the weak. Be patient with them all. I love the category of people that we come across every day. He says, for some of them, you need to admonish them. You need to tell them that you get to work, you got to work, you don't work, you cannot eat. For some of them, the faint-hearted one, you say, come on, let me hold your hand. Let me, you can do this. You're not alone, right? And then for those who really, they're so weak, he says, you just help them. You just lift them up. And then it says, be patient to all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Now, if you understand the context, the Solonika church was having persecution. Had, and their, their loved ones were persecuted and maybe people wanted to revenge. He says, no, please don't. Don't repay evil for evil. Uh, in fact, I think it was in Hebrews, he says that, uh, Romans 12, he says that vengeance belongs to God. You just leave it to the Lord. Don't take it upon yourself. But always seek to good to one another and to everyone. So Paul was very clear. He says, this is the way you relate to leaders. This is the way you relate to others. Now, let me bring you to, he says, this is the way you relate to the circumstances that you're going to come across your way. Good, bad, challenging, stretching, uh, 
sickness, health, whatever. He says, you do three things. He says, you rejoice always, you pray without ceasing, and you always give thanks unto the Lord. Something about rejoicing, praying, giving thanks help you to not be under the circumstances, but help you to rise above the circumstances. One of the challenges of life is this. When we are, when we are under certain circumstances, we kind of gave in. We allow the circumstances to depress us, to oppress us, to put fear in us. But if there's a way we can stay joyful, keep on including God, and then give thanks, not because of the things that's happened to you. You don't give thanks because you have cancer, but you give thanks because there's a good God. He says you will rise above the circumstances. Uh, one of my reasons, you know, just a little bit of a reading, was the story of Cory Ten Boon. Cory Ten Boon was, a, uh, was someone who served the Jews. They helped to uh, take care of uh, the Jews that was hunted by the Nazi. Eventually, they were caught and they were put in prison camp. When they, were, when they went to the prison, and you can read the book, Hiding Place. When they went to the prison camp, Cory Ten Boon and the sister Betsy was put in Barrack 28, which is one of the filthiest dirtiest, uh, full of fleas, you know, whatever. The moment Cory Tamboon and Bessie, and you can read in the book, they look at the place and say, God, why like that? On that day, Cory Tamboon was doing the, her devotion and she landed at this verse. So she looked at Bessie, the sister, and says, let's thank God. Let's rejoice always, pray always and thank God. So they look at what to thank God. They say, okay, God, I thank you for such a crowded space so that whenever we pray, everybody gets to hear you. Okay? And they went on. They thanked God for the, for the place, for the smell, whatever it is. Lah, huh? And then as they come to the part where there were so many fleas and baked buds, that Bessie turned to the sister and said, no way I can thank God for the bed buds. She says, no way I can thank God for the fleas. She says, I don't know what to do with it. Okay? And then she said, no, 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 never mind. Just, just thank God. So they just say, God, thank God for the fleas, you know, don't know what to do with it. And, you know, kind of that little struggle. But if you read on the story, the Barak 28 eventually became the doorway of heaven. Because of the amount of filth and the fleas and the bugs, it is the least visited by the guards to that Barak. It became the place where they have their services. They had women who came to know the Lord. And in the little book hiding place, it says, it says God's sanctuary of flea, that was exactly the term, became a place where they prayed for the war and the entire world. Can you imagine? So as Cory Ten Boon, and it was in that place that one day Cory Ten Boon dreamed and God spoke to her, eventually she can find a place where they can have a very nice garden. And she told it to the sister Betsy, and Betsy said, wow, I can imagine. We're going to fill in with all these women and they can have a new brand of life, whatever. And that's where Cory Ten Boon looked at her and said, no, it's not just for the women. It's for all the future gods that has mistreated us as well. One of the amazing, marvellous story of someone in the hardest situation. But because of rejoicing always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks, they rise above the circumstances. 
Now I know, I know some of you are having cancer, you're trying to say, Pastor, how can I? You know, I'm not asking you to thank God for the cancer. I'm asking you, there's an internal posture that we can learn from this verse that Paul is trying to tell us that you will rise above the circumstances and see a greater and a grander picture that God may have for you. And finally, or fourthly, he says, this is the way you want to relate to the Holy Spirit. He says, don't quench the Spirit. He says, don't despise prophecies. Test everything Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Enough. I mean, enough self-explanatory itself. And finally, because of time, let's just move on. Maybe potentially relating to yourself. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. He says, for yourself, go through the process of sanctification. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord of Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You know, I like... Uh, how Paul ended First Thessalonians, the book. He kind of gave us, he says, because Christ is going to come back again, he says, this is the way you want to live your life. Live honouring your leaders who serve you. Live for people around you. And there are different categories. Respond differently. When you are in all kinds of circumstances, pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Give thanks unto the Lord. It, will ch- it doesn't change the circumstances, but it changes you. And then he says, this is the way you relate to God. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't, don't put a lot of, you know, just let it burn and, and abstain from evil. Take hold of what is good. Don't despise prophecy. And then for yourself, he says, pray that God will sanctify you, keep you blameless until the day of the Lord. How many of you are blessed? Just that simplicity and the clarity that Paul pieced together to encourage all of us. Because of Christ's coming, live your life differently. You know, when we were young, we were afraid of our dad. So my dad will go out. When he comes back with his bicycle ring, all of us will come back in order very fast. <laughs> the, the moment, okay. I'm trying to just kind of loosely apply that, that Christ is going to come back again. And let's live our life the best we could for God. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful to you. Uh, Even today, as we bring all this to a close, and I know, God, we inch into our time, but it doesn't matter because ultimately, you want us to live a life that's pleasing unto you. Live in such a way worthy of God. And that's the walk away from this series. We are grateful. We look forward to the dialogue. In Jesus' name, we ask and pray. Amen.